Well, it's good to be with you this morning and to bring God's word to you. It was a privilege to give a report this morning, as we just heard, of the work in Papua New Guinea. And now we will turn to God's word and hear from his word as it relates to what I've discussed already this morning, Pioneer Missions. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, a well-known passage to us. I'm sure many of us, all of us, have read this a number of times throughout our life. And this will be the text for us this morning. Matthew 28, and I'll read 16 to the end. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, bless the reading of your word and bless the preaching of your word to your people here this morning. Amen. Well, this is a well-known passage, Matthew 28, the last command, the last words that Jesus says before he departs and goes to be with his father, a passage we refer most commonly to as the Great Commission, the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples before he departed. And isn't it true that the, the last statement, the last words, the last commands that someone's going to give before they depart, isn't it true that those words are more significant than perhaps other things that they may say? And that's certainly the case here in Matthew 28. Jesus is departing. He's died on the cross for the sins of his people. He's been raised again from the grave. Now the last words that he says to his people before he departs, Certainly, they are significant. So the question we need to ask ourselves right here at the beginning, are these words still applicable to us today? And hopefully, as Christians, especially in this room, the answer in all of our minds is yes, they are applicable. They do still apply to us today. But that's not always been the case. Throughout church history and certain parts of the world, Christians have not always believed that. And one of the things I mentioned in this morning in the presentation, one of the things that William Carey had to face and had to deal with was Christians in his own day and age, his time, especially in England, who said that this passage does not apply to Christians. And I'm going to preach through it this morning, and we're going to hear the voice of Christ again from these words. And I want to challenge you from what Christ speaks, that these words do apply to us and that we should take them to heart and that we should obey them in 2022, and in our generation. Let me begin here in verse 18, and we're going to focus on three points, and the first is the authority behind the commission. So again, this is the Great Commission, and I have it under three points, and first is the authority behind the commission. That's clearly seen in our text, right? Look at verse 18. Jesus comes, and notice the first thing he says, all authority has been given to me. That's how he begins this great commission. It's summarized as one command, one commission to his disciples. 
but he begins not by giving the command first, but by giving the authority behind the command. And that's what we see here in verse 18. And it's an astonishing statement. Perhaps one of the most astonishing statements in all of Scripture. Jesus, the God-man, who has risen from the grave, conquered sin, and now he stands before his disciples, before us today, before the world, and he says, all authority has been given to me. What an amazing statement that is. And it's true. You know, we live in a day and age, and most people would disagree with this. But as Christians, we know that this statement that Jesus is giving here in Matthew 28, verse 18, this statement is true. How should we respond? It's not that it might be true. The words that Jesus says here at the beginning, the authority behind the commission, this statement is true. And because of that, we should certainly respond in a way of submission and obedience to the commission that he's going to give here. Well, who gave him this authority? Notice that our text here, Jesus says it in an interesting way. All authority has been given to me, right? He doesn't simply say all authority is mine. He could have said it that way. But he says it in a unique way. All authority has been given. Well, the question we should ask is, who has given him this authority? And certainly we know from the context of Scripture, and especially the New Testament, the answer to that is God the Father. His Father has given him this authority. We could go to many cross-references, but one of them I'll read is from Philippians chapter 2, where it says that the Father has highly exalted Christ, given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Christ every knee should bow. The Father has given him this authority, given him this title, this position, to rule and to reign and even to conquer the nations. Well, how much authority has the Father given to him? Again, verse 18 here. We see very clearly all authority has been given to him. You know, we live in a day and age people argue about authority and position and titles and places. Jesus here stands before the world and says, all authority is mine. We discuss politics often, especially in our day and age now. The place of the president, the place of employers and generals in the military. But none of them can make this claim. That all authority is theirs. Some might want it, but none can truthfully claim it. Not even the great men throughout history. We think of certain men like Alexander the Great and Caesar and others. But none can make this claim. There's only one man in history who can truthfully say and claim that all authority belongs to him. It's not just some. It is all authority in every situation, in every place, in every life. Jesus has authority over you and over me, over this country and over Papua New Guinea, over every city, over every people, over every company, over every government, over every military. There's only one man who has that authority, and that's Jesus Christ. And he stands before the world and makes this declaration, this statement of truth. Again, we live in a day and age where people want to dismiss that truth even exists. But this statement is a truth statement to the world that all authority belongs to the man, Jesus Christ. He has authority in heaven. He has authority on earth. That's how he puts it here in our text in verse 18. In other words, all authority over all creation, over the entire universe, over humans, over all angels, over all places, this authority belongs to only him. He has authority to rule. 
Jesus has authority to reign. Jesus has authority to command. And that's exactly what we see here in our text as we consider specifically the Great Commission. Because of his authority, he can command. And again, we live in a day and age, people don't want to receive commands. People don't like authority. People don't want to be told what to do. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He says, I have all authority, and therefore I'm going to give you a command. Speaking to his disciples. Hence, we must not talk back. We live in a day and age, people want to talk back to authority, dismiss authority. Children to parents, employees to employers, soldiers to generals. It goes across the board. Our culture in that way, especially in our country, is a disaster. But because of the authority of Christ, we must not talk back. We certainly should not disregard the words of Jesus here. We should not question. We should not disobey. He's the one with all authority, and he speaks to us. We should hear his voice. We should respond with submission. We should respond in obedience to what he says. Well, another question here, still on our first point, the authority behind the commission Why, or we could put it this way, on what grounds or what basis did the Father give Jesus this authority? Right? Isn't that an appropriate question? You know, did Jesus earn this authority? That's another way we could put the question. And certainly he did. Obedience to his Father's will, we read in John chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus speaking, I have come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Based on the obedience of Christ to his Father, His father has given him this position, this authority. Another answer to the question, on what basis does he have this authority? John chapter 17, verse 4 says, Jesus speaking again, I have accomplished the work you sent me to do. So not just obedience to his father's will, but he accomplished the work his father sent him to do. So his father has given him this position, this authority. And then another reason, there's others, but the three I'm mentioning here, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. The Father has declared Jesus to be the Son of God in power by the resurrection. Romans 1 verse 4. So also because of his resurrection, he has this authority. What other man has defeated the grave? What other man has overcome death? Certainly that one would have this position, this authority, and there's only one man who fits that category. That is the God-man, Jesus Christ, based upon his resurrection. So that's our first point here, the authority behind the commission, the authority behind the command that Jesus gives. And because of this authority, because of this position, this title, Jesus gives this command. So now let's go to our second main point, which is the commission itself. Number two, the commission itself. We see here in verse 18, verse 19. Again, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore, now he gives the command. He gives the commission to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That's the commission. Very clear. It's translated into English. We can understand this, right? Even you young kids in this room can understand. Jesus saying, go to the world and make disciples. That's the command. That's the commission. In the context of receiving all authority from his father, Jesus gives this command. So notice the flow here. He has all authority. He's been given this authority in this position by his father, and now he gives the command. So notice it in that order, in the context of this passage. 
Well, to whom does he give this command? Again, we see it very clearly here in our context. His disciples come to him. Now, some people think it was just the 11. I tend to think it was more. There there were other disciples there as well. But that's beside the point. It's clear that it's his disciples who are there. And it's his disciples who are in this room right now. This command comes to us today. Not just to perhaps 11 men 2,000 years ago. But this command, this commission, comes to all of Jesus' disciples throughout church history. It comes to us in this room this morning in the year 2022. So hear the words of Christ to you this morning as we read Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. These are the words that Christ speaks to his people even today in New Jersey, in Lafayette, even to this church. So hear the words of Christ saying to you as a church, go make disciples of the nations. So if you're a believer in Christ, this command comes to you as an individual. It comes to you corporately as a church and to all of Christians and God's people around the world. Those who are born again are to obey this call. If you're a Christian, there's no Christian in this category that says, well, it doesn't apply to me. If we are in this group of Christians, those who are born again, those who follow Christ and belong to him, then this command, this commission comes to us. And we should receive it and we should respond to it in obedience. Is it a suggestion? Is it an opinion? No, certainly not. We already saw in Verse 18, Jesus saying, all authority is mine. He doesn't say this as an opinion, as a suggestion, as an idea. He says it as a command to his people. Many professing Christians live as if Jesus never gave this command. There's a lot of Christians in this world, even in our own country, who live as if this command doesn't exist. Living self-centered lives, selfish lives, thinking about just themselves. Thinking maybe about just their own church. But I hope this morning as I preach this text that your eyes are lifted and you realize, you know what? It's more than just me. It's more than just our church. We need to lift our eyes to the nations, as Jesus says, and see the fields that are white to harvest and those who need to hear the gospel, those to whom we must go and preach Christ. Well, go do what? Look at our text here. Again, I'm asking simple questions from the text. We all know this passage very well. But notice what it says here. Jesus says, go, do what? Go make disciples, okay? That's the specific imperative. Go make disciples. Well, why is that important? Well, I want to make this point here. Notice all the things he doesn't say. Now, where am I going with that? Well, we live in a day and age when it comes to missions, and I'm using that term very broadly. When it comes to missions, many people want to put in substitute there, Go start schools. Go build buildings. Go have hospitals. Go dig wells and things like that. And we've all heard things like that. But notice all the things Jesus doesn't say. Notice the one thing he does say. Jesus clearly says, go make disciples. That's the work of missions. Not all the other things. That might help. That might aid. But the work of missions, and we need to be very clear about this as Christians, is to make disciples of the nations. Bring the gospel to them so that they would be saved from their sin, saved from the wrath of God, and saved ultimately from eternal hell. That's what missions is all about. There's no substitute for that. Now, there are many so-called substitutes in our day and age, but notice again what Jesus says here. 
the, the specific command, go and make disciples. Well, to where? To where does Jesus want his disciples to go? Okay, now he's speaking to his perhaps 11 disciples, maybe some others as well that were there. He's speaking in Israel. They might have just been thinking, okay, we're going to travel around Israel. We're going to make some disciples here, but he doesn't say that. Okay, we could turn to a cross-reference in Acts chapter 1 and other passages that Jesus mentions throughout the Gospels. Clearly, it's Jesus' intent and his desire that we as Christians bring the Gospel to the nations. And that wasn't just his idea in the New Testament. That's what he said in the Old Testament as well. All throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament, we see the purpose of God to see the gospel go to the world, to all peoples and the nations. And that's what Jesus says here again. Not for the first time, but again. Notice in our text here, verses 19. Uh, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So to whom must Jesus' disciples go to make disciples? We see here very clearly, it's to all the peoples of this world, to all nations. You may have heard of the website Joshua Project. It's a good Christian website to go to to see the people groups of this world. It's a decent website that categorizes the people groups of certain countries, line by language, population, things like that. And one of the things that's most helpful is it shows, in some way, the people groups, the language groups that are unevangelized, where the gospel still has not gone. Peoples who have still not heard the gospel. And according to this website, there are about 17,000 people groups in this world. Now, that might be a shock because we, especially as Americans, we tend to think of the world in terms of countries, maybe even cities, right? We think of the country of America or the country of Papua New Guinea or England or Australia. That's usually the way we think. But that's not the way the New Testament writes it. The emphasis, the focus of the New Testament language is on, again, what we would call people groups or language groups. Every kindred, tongue, right, language, tribe, nation. That's the emphasis and the focus of the New Testament. So that's the way Christians should think about the world. Not just necessarily geopolitical nations and countries, but people groups. And according to the website, out of the 17,000 people groups, about 7,000 remain unevangelized. And we need to respond to that. We should heed the words of Christ in our generation. And for you young kids, I'm going to give some application as well. Whether we're old, whether we're young, those of us who are true disciples of Christ need to respond to this command that Jesus is giving here. Again, we've read this passage, I'm sure, many times. Let's hear the words of Christ again from what he says here. About 8 billion, 9 billion people in the world, the population, according to Joshua Project, this website, those unevangelized people groups, there are about 3 billion that remain unevangelized. And what I mean by that, and what that website means by that, is areas in this world... People groups, places, villages, where the gospel's never gone. Not a post-Christian location or people, but an area and a people where the gospel's never gone. And that's what I want to challenge you with this morning. 
Should we continue to bring the gospel into places of America? Of course. Should you evangelize your neighbor who's not a Christian? Of course. Should we perhaps start a church in Australia where the gospel is? Of course. But we must not miss the many places and areas and peoples that have never been evangelized. And many times we do. Our context as a family is missions. We are on a mission field. We know a lot of other missionaries. And one thing that is often overlooked are the places and the peoples that have never been evangelized. And Jesus is thinking about them. He doesn't say just go to the places you want, just the places that are easy. But Jesus' intent, as we see here in verse 19, is to bring the gospel to all the peoples of this world. Not just some, but all. Very clear. Not just the easily accessible ones, right? Well, okay, we're the easy places, let's evangelize them. Well, what about the places that are not easy to get to? Like Mocha. You know, I gave the report this morning. One of the main reasons the place like Mocha remained unevangelized until we went there a few years ago, one of the main reasons, because it was so difficult to access. And you saw some of the pictures this morning from the report. There are many places similar to that in 2022. And it should be our purpose as Christians, as disciples of Christ, to get to those places, to bring the gospel to those places. Not only the cities. Sometimes we just think, well, okay, let's get the gospel to cities and that's it. But it's more than that as well. Not only the cities, not only the peoples and the places that have already been evangelized. Just think of it. If we continue to evangelize the same people, the same cities, will we complete the Great Commission? No. And again, we see from the words of Christ here, his, his desire, his purpose, his intent to see the gospel go to all the places and peoples of this world. So again, which people does Jesus call and command to evangelize all the peoples of this world? It's his people. Are you a Christian? Do you belong to Christ? You're part of this call. You're part of this commission. So respond in a way of obedience to this. Now, does that mean every Christian goes? No. We read the book of Acts and actually few went, right? Most of the Christians, we could say, stayed home. But every Christian is involved. And so, again, I want to challenge you this morning to hear the command of Christ in a, in a new way, perhaps, this morning, in a fresh way, and respond to his words. If you're part of Jesus' people, then he speaks this command to you. We can't rely upon others to fulfill this command. We can't rely upon the companies or the governments to do it. They're not going to do it. The only category of people on planet Earth who will obey and fulfill this commission are Christians. That's the only category. So again, you ask yourself, am I a Christian? Do I belong to Christ? This command comes to me. So how will, how will you respond? Well, still under the second point of the commission itself, let me address some excuses that people have given, professing Christians have given. Again, as I've talked to many Christians, people interested in missions, people not interested in missions, I've heard these excuses given. Does Jesus want to hear excuses from this text? No. Right? He gives this command. He doesn't want to hear his disciples give excuses. So here are some. I just want to highlight a few quickly. And as I go through the list, 
Think in your own mind, in your, in your own heart. Do I have some of these excuses? And pray that the Lord would, if you do have some of these excuses, root them out so that you'd be more faithful, more dedicated, more committed to the cause of the Great Commission. Some excuses are being too old. Right? It's like you pass 50 years old and all of a sudden you're too old to do the Great Commission. Or it's too far away. It's too remote. It's too isolated. You might have seen some of the videos and pictures I showed this morning of Mocha. And there are many places on planet Earth just like that. Well, it's too difficult to get to, so I can't go. Those are some excuses. And some say, well, I have to quit my job or I can't get the money. I have to sell my house. I have to move. I have to leave my family. Right? These are real excuses. But they're not good excuses to cause us to disobey. Jesus said, if you leave your, your house and your land and your family, your reward will be great. Those are the words of Christ. Some say, well, I don't want to learn a new language, right? It's so difficult to learn a new language, and, you know, only if you're below five years old can you learn a new language, so it's too difficult. Or my kids are more important. I've heard this excuse many times. Parents put so much priority on their children that obedience to Christ takes second row. Only seminary graduates and pastors and men ready in the ministry should do the work of missions, or someone else will do it. It's not me, someone else will do it. These are some excuses. I'll get sick. I'll die. You know, think, of, think of Adoniram Judson, Willem Carey, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot. Right? We think of famous, heroic missionaries throughout church history. They didn't consider these excuses. Did they realize perhaps they could get sick? Yes. Did they realize perhaps they could die? Yes. I just recently read through Jim Elliott's biography again. He understood that. But that didn't stop him. And another excuse is too difficult or it's too dangerous. It is difficult. It is dangerous. But that didn't stop Christ from coming to this earth, right? He could have been in heaven and said, well, you know, being on planet Earth with all those people, they're going to reject me, they're going to hate me, they're not going to listen to me, they're going to kill me. It's too difficult, it's too dangerous. So these are some excuses that I've heard as it relates to the Great Commission, doing missions. Not just locally, but more specifically, worldwide missions. Are some of these excuses in your own heart, in your own thinking? Well, I want to challenge you this morning. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you and root them out so that you'd be more committed and dedicated to do the work of the Great Commission. Well, still under this second main point here, the commission itself, what are two actions, what are the two actions Jesus gives as we go make disciples of all the nations? Look here at our text, again, back at verse 19. Go make disciples of all the nations, and then he gives us, The two actions to do as we go do missions. We could summarize missions under these two headings. Baptize and teach. Now certainly it's much broader, but we could summarize it under those two headings. And I'm not going to deal with baptism this morning, just for the sake of time. But I do want to mention a few things under teaching. Notice what he says here. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Okay, that's part of the activity of missions. We go, we make disciples, so what do we do first? We baptize them. And then we teach them to obey only some of the things that Jesus said. 
Oh, no, it doesn't say that, does it? Verse 20. Again, notice the flow of this. Verse 18, he gives the authority behind the commission, and he says, all authority is mine. Then he doesn't tell us to go to just some places. He says, go to all places. Then verse 20 here, he doesn't say just to teach these new converts some things in the Bible, but to teach them all things that Christ has already commanded us. So I hope you see that flow throughout the text here as Jesus is emphasizing this work of missions in the Great Commission. Teach them to obey everything that Jesus has already commanded in his word. Okay, there's not a new revelation. Okay, this is it right here. There aren't new books that we need. This is the revelation. Everything that Jesus has revealed, this is what we are to teach to the nations, to the new converts. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't say, I'm going to send a new book and you can add that. He says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. The words, the teachings, the commands that Christ has given us in Scripture, and I'm not just referring to the Gospels, but to all of Scripture, we are to teach to the nations. That's a main part of missions. It's not just making a convert. That's where it starts. It's not just baptizing them. That's step two. But step three continues, as we see here from the words of Christ, teaching them to obey and to continue obey throughout their Christian life the words and the commands of Christ. We are not just to teach some Bible stories. We are to teach all of Scripture. Okay, there's some groups, there's some work that's done under the name of missions that just teach Bible stories. Okay, we'll teach them about Adam and Eve, teach them about Noah and Jesus and Daniel and things like that. That's not what Jesus is saying. We don't just teach Bible stories. Jesus says here, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. We are not only to teach the unoffensive passages. And I highlight some of these things because as we've done missions now, we've been involved in it for almost a decade. My parents have been doing it for 25 years. My grandparents did it for almost 50 years. Our family's been in a circle of missions. We've heard many things. We've seen many things, experienced many things, primarily in New Guinea. But the reason I say some of these things is because of what goes on under the name of missions in our day and age. And we need to see what the New Testament teaches about missions. That's why I started the presentation the way I did this morning. What is missions? Notice the things that Jesus says here. We are not only to teach the unoffensive passages. There are many offensive passages to humans in the, New, in the Bible, right? We all know that. Our culture knows that. Our country knows that. But Jesus isn't saying, well, you know, take out from here the things that are unoffensive and you don't uh, only teach those. He's not saying that. He's not saying only teach the positive texts. We are to teach all of Scripture. Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. That's what Paul told Timothy. And similar words come from Jesus to us. Primarily, we are to preach the gospel. And again, it's sad that we even have to mention that. But there's, many, there's much that goes on under the name of missions in our day and age around the world that uses the word missions and they're not even preaching the gospel. We are to primarily declare to the nations the message of the gospel. The work of Christ, his obedience, his death upon the cross, his substitutionary atonement, that his work has saved his people, his resurrection. That's what we are primarily to teach and to proclaim to the world. 
but also submission to Scripture and everything. We are to preach repentance of sin. We are to preach the cost of discipleship. Okay, these are just some things. But again, notice what Jesus says here. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. We need to take seriously the words of Christ, what he says here, and bring this message to the nation. We don't want fake converts, right? That's one of the worst things that's happened through our church history. Wishy-washy preaching, fake gospel preaching, lack of repentance, and then you have fake converts. That's not what Jesus is after. Jesus is after true conversion, true disciples following him. Now let's move on now to our third and final point. So we saw, firstly, the authority behind the commission. We saw that in verse 18. Jesus says, I have all authority. Secondly, the commission itself, the command itself. Go make disciples, baptize them, teach them. And now thirdly, and finally, the promise that comes with the commission. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't stop talking here. Thankfully, there is a promise. Because we might get to the end of verse, uh, the end of what we just read here, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, the beginning of verse 20, and the second part of verse 20 is not here. And we'd be discouraged. Right? We'd be thinking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to go to the nations? How are we going to go to Mocha? How are we going to go to the Middle East? How are we going to go to some unevangelized people in China and down in South America? How will, how will we evangelize the world? We're small, we're weak, the world despises us, the world's rejected us. I'm referring to Christians. How are we going to do this? Right, that would be our, our thinking. That might perhaps be our attitude after we hear this commission from Christ. But thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He continues, as we see here in our third point, the promise that comes with the commission. And we see this very clearly here at the end of verse 20. Jesus concludes by saying, And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the promise that comes with the commission. He will be with us. Now, in some sense, there's a general presence of Christ with all Christians. Right? Jesus promises to be with every Christian in a, very, in a general way, all the time, every Christian. But Jesus is referring here to more specifically, he will be with us as we do this work. He's not referring to just a general presence, but he's saying, as you go do this work, what you might think is impossible, what you might think is dangerous and difficult, in this work, I'll be with you. That's what he's referring to. So don't miss the context of this promise. He will be with us sometimes. doesn't say that. It says he will be with us always. That's at the end of verse 20 here. He's with us always. There's never a day, there's never a time when God's true people are doing true missions, based on what we see here in Matthew 28, that he's not with us. There's never a time that he's not with us. He is always with us. Now, there might be times when it doesn't seem that way, but this promise is true. Notice what he also says, not that he's always, not that he's only always with us, but he's with us to the end of the age. One thing we can learn from this is, there is an end to this age. Thank God, thank God for that, right? Thank God that this age is ending. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news and realize, I want this age to be done. 
What Jesus says here is, we can be confident one day this age will be over. This time period will be over. This cursed world will be over. One day, that's coming. But until then, this commission applies. This command to evangelize the world applies. So we should be thinking as Christians, okay, thankfully this age is ending. Christ is coming. We're going to be saved. There's a new creation. That's what we have to look forward to. But until that day, let's be busy. Let's be faithful to do this work. That's the way every Christian should be thinking. He's with us to the end of the age. In Matthew chapter 24, he says, Preach the gospel throughout the entire world as a testimony to all peoples. And then the end will come. Similar to what he's saying here, right? Do the work of missions, the Great Commission, and I'll be with you to the end. He says something similar a few chapters back in chapter 24. Is this promise true? I mean, think about what Christ is saying. It was pretty astonishing that he said in verse 18, all authority is mine. We read that and we're like, that's an amazing statement. Then we read the actual commission and command. Go make disciples of all the nations. And we're thinking, wow, (laughs) that's a tough job. And then he concludes here with, I will be with you always. What an amazing promise. Is this true? Is it a real promise? How then should we respond? Right? Let this sink, let's, let this sink in. The fact that Jesus is saying he will be with his people. It is a real promise. It is a true promise. So how should we respond? We should respond going back to what he's just commissioned. Since it's true that Christ will be with his people, let's go do this work. Let's support this work. Let's give to this work. Let's send people to this work. Let's pray for this work. Because not only does he have all authority to give the command, but he promises he'll be with us until this work is complete, until the end of this age. So that's what we see here throughout this text. And I broke it up into three points. The authority behind the command, or the commission, the commission itself, number two, and then the promise that comes with the commission. So now, in conclusion... And give me a few minutes to conclude the sermon. First, the concluding question. Why should we go make disciples of all the nations? Why should we go do this? Now we've seen from our text, but I want to mention a few other things here under the concluding question. Why should we do this? First, because Jesus commands us to. Now, that's the only reason we need to give, right? Why should we do this? Jesus told us to. Okay, there you go. A lot of times people will ask me, you know, why have you brought your family to New Guinea and why are you doing this? And the first answer I usually give is this. Jesus has told us to. That's all we need, right? So I think if you're working at your your company with your boss and your boss tells you to do something, you're not going to sit there and be like, "Eh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. No, you're going to do what your boss says, right? At least a good employee would. This is what Jesus is saying. How should we respond? Why should we do it? Because he said to. So just let that sink in. I know that's very simplistic, but a lot of times that's the Christian life, right? Whatever he says, when it relates to marriage, when it relates to being faithful as a church, when it relates to evangelizing the world, why should we do these things? Simply because Jesus commands us to. And if we love Christ, we're going to want to obey. Another reason, because Jesus' people have the only cure for the sin-cursed world. 
You know, think of it that way. You know, throughout the past year, everybody's talking about the, the, the virus and all this stuff that's been going on. Cures and vaccinations and medicine and doctors and all this stuff. You know, that's a hot topic these days, right? That's something very small. In some sense, that's something very insignificant. Christians have what will cure the entire world. That will cure a sin-cursed world. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are to go to the nations. There is a virus that's much bigger. And it's the virus of sin. And there's only one thing that can cure. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have it. That's why, G- uh, that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I'm a debtor. He realized that. And if you're a Christian, you're a debtor. To give the gospel not only to your neighbor, and that's where you should start, and your family members, but to the nations. We have what will cure a sin-cursed world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another reason, because Jesus has his people whom his Father has given him. Not just from the Jews, but from all the people of the world. Thankfully, not, just Jew, not only Jews are going to be saved. <laughs> that wouldn't be good news for us, right? I'm sure most of us in here are Gentiles, not Jewish. Thankfully, Christ has his people from all the places of this world, from all peoples of this world. Jesus wants to save his people from all the peoples of this world, from places like Mocha, to China, to the Middle East, every continent, to every language group. He will save them. And he calls us to be part of this work. And what a privilege, right? You know, think of the most important person you've ever known, the most influential person that you know, the most powerful person you ever know. And they said, you know what? I want you to be my right-hand man. I want you to work with me and help me and be my assistant and do the work with me, you know, whatever it is. You would be pretty excited, I'm sure, right? How much more when Christ says, come and do this work with me? I'm going to go bring the gospel to the nations and it's going to be through you. And I have my people throughout all the world and it's your job to go get them. And then one final reason as well. Why should we do this here under the concluding question? Because it's the main work Jesus has given his followers to do after his resurrection. It's the main work. From his resurrection to his ascension, Focus on the things that Jesus says to his people. Now, he says different things. He says many things. But the main work that Jesus gives his disciples, resurrection to ascension and continuing, is to evangelize the world. So that's an answer to this concluding question. Why should we obey this commission? And now, finally, the concluding application. And the first application I want to give is to you who may be unbelievers. Old, young, male, female, if you're not a Christian, if you don't belong to this group of people that are born again, who are followers of Christ, if that's not you, today come to Christ. Today believe in him and realize, you know what? This world is cursed in sin. This world has no hope. This age is ending. Christ is returning to judge the living and the dead. I want to make sure I'm part of his people. If you're not a Christian, if you're young, if you're old, it doesn't matter. Today believe in Christ. Come to him. Be saved. Trust in him. Look to him as your savior. That's the first application. You might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? I'm not even a Christian. Well, the application for you, become a Christian. Turn to Christ and be saved today. Don't wait. After that, I want to give application to the, to the kids in this room. Okay, I see some kids in the back here in the front as well. 
You might think, you know, maybe you don't get application too often, but I want to give application to you kids. Seriously consider and pray about doing missions. That's, what I, that's the application I want to give to you kids. So you kids listening, seriously consider and pray about doing this work in your life. And parents, teach your kids about this. Don't teach them about the American dream. Teach them about the, the great dream, the Great Commission. So that's the application for you kids. You're going to be bombarded with stuff in school, stuff from the world, movies, books, all, this, all the nonsense in this world. You're going to be bombarded with it. But hear the call of Christ to you today, you kids. And think about, I want to be a missionary when I grow up. I want to bring the gospel to a people that have never heard. All right, next, application to you men. To you married men, consider this important command of Christ and do it. That's the application for you men. Maybe, hopefully, perhaps, I'm not sure how to say it, the Lord might raise one of you men up to go do the work of the Great Commission, to go to an unreached people group. Now again, remember the excuses I read through? Pray about them. If they're in your heart, if you're in your thinking, pray about them. That's the application for you men. And as a church, pray that the Lord might raise up a couple from here to go. Wives, an application for you wives and for you women. And so in parentheses here, let me say this. As I've talked to a lot of people about missions, a lot of people have talked to me about missions, usually it's the women who are more interested Okay, and so I say that to you women to commend you. That's a good thing. You women have more of an interest. The men, not so much. So men, that's a rebuke to you. you. The men, especially of America, need to step up to the plate and say, you know what, we need, to be, we need to be men to bring the gospel to the nations. Women, you wives as well, pray about doing this work with your husbands. Encourage your husbands to this work. Continue to have a desire to do this work, women, because it's a good thing that you do. I just heard yesterday from a friend, he said, you can categorize missionaries into three groups. Married couples are 50%, single women are 50%, and the rest makes uh, the unmarried men are the rest. And, you know, obviously that's a bit extreme, but again, it's a challenge to you men. And it's a challenge to the Christian men of this country. Another area of application, and give me a few minutes and I'll be done. Post-65, okay, there's some older people in this room as well, and you might be thinking, woo, I got out of this one, but not so fast, okay? I got some application for you as well. If you're older than, say, 60, 65, 70, you can fill in that, that age gap wherever you want. The application for you, when it relates to what we just heard from Christ here in Matthew chapter 28, the application for you, be prayer warriors, be givers, be encouragers. Those are three things you can do. Be prayer warriors. Simple application. Set apart one day a week, one afternoon, a morning, whatever you want to do, to pray for the work of Great Commissions, of, of the Great Commission. Different people groups, unevangelized people groups, existing missionaries, new missionaries, pray for those things. That's an application for you older people. Be givers. Usually, especially in our country in America, the older generation, those who are retired, have more money. That's usually the case. So be givers to this great cause. A new missionary wants to go out and they don't have sufficient funds, they have little funds, help them. That's one of the best things you could do as an older couple who may not be able to go. You're 65, you're 70, you're 75. 
Be prayer warriors, be givers, and also be encouragers. You older generation, look out for especially Christians in your church, the kids, those younger than you, and encourage them to do missions. Hopefully they'll respect you as an older person, they'll listen to you as an older person, and you can encourage them and you can challenge them to this work. So that's three applications for you older generation. And then finally, generally as a church, an application for you as a church. I know you have a prayer meeting, you pray as a church, you pray as families. Here, here's an application for you. When the first missionaries were sent out in Acts chapter 13, what did they do? They prayed and they fasted. So what's the application for you as a church? Pray and fast as it relates to missions. Make that one of the main prayer points for, for your church. Lord, we're going to pray and we're going to fast that you raise up a, a new couple from our church to go do what we just heard here, biblical missions, making disciples of an unevangelized people. Pray about that. Fast about that as a church. Jesus has accomplished the greatest work in human history. He has made a way for salvation. He has conquered sin. He has overcome Satan. He has made a way for sinners to be saved from hell. No other man in history has or could accomplish this mission. And in light of that work he did, and by his authority he received from doing it and accomplishing it, he calls, he commands those who believe and follow him to continue this mission by going to make disciples of all the peoples of this world. Will you do it? Father, bless your word that has been preached. Cause it to sink into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives. Holy Spirit, bless it. And enable us by your power, through Christ and through the gospel and through your word, to continue this great cause of bringing the gospel to the nations, especially those who have still never heard. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.